Let's read again verses 14 through 19. When Paul says, For this reason, or because of the unfolding of this mystery and all its implications, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now as we go through here and we look at these requests that are flowing out of, or the results that are flowing out of this major request in verse 16, I just want to state up front that if you read down through the commentaries, they are all over the place about what the details of these results involve. There is kind of a consensus that it is dealing with the love of Christ. And so what I'm going to give to you tonight, there is both a distinction from what I read in the commentaries, but there is also overlap with what I'm reading in the commentaries. So if you walk away and say, no, I think I hold to the traditional viewpoint, I'm going to put my arm around you and say amen and amen to that. Okay, but I'm going to preach what I think the nuances of the, this, the results of this prayer request are. So just letting you know that if you are well read or if you're going to pull up your phone and commentary or if you're going to go look up something there in your library that I just want to let you know that I am well aware with the commentators how they're approaching it and I'm well aware that <clears throat> there's both overlap and distinction in what I'm about to give to you here, Lord willing, this evening. God the Father has gifted grace to Paul. And that grace had been given to him <clears throat> to administer the unsearchable riches of Christ. And they are unsearchable, are they not? There are depths to this. And Paul is seeking to bring to light the mystery. That mystery is what drove Paul to admonish every man, both to be saved and for those that are saved to grow up in him. The implications of this mystery. And it's for the glory of God and it's for our good. Our good in this life and in the future life all depends on us lining up with the eternal purpose and will of God. As we walk in that eternal purpose, as we seek to co-labor in that eternal purpose, as we see God's grace working in us, that is the life most happy. And that is the life most fulfilling. That eternal purpose exists in the eternal God And it was planned before the creation of all things. And that grace is effectually working today. It is, as Paul would write to the church at Colossae, it is not to be bearing fruit, 
it is right now bearing fruit in all the world. His mystery and that grace is working to fulfill His purpose. And we saw here in this prayer in Ephesians 3, two observations. We saw this morning that Paul is not praying for what? He's not praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. We possess the power of the Holy Spirit in every genuine believer. But he is praying, verse 16, to be strengthened. To strengthen something is to take the strength of what already is being exhibited in your life and for it to become, could we say this, more intense more stronger in its ability. He's praying for the strengthening of the power by His Spirit. And He is praying for this church and for our church throughout all the ages. He is praying that our increase in the knowledge of this mystery and the knowledge of God would end up bearing the proper fruit of the Spirit in our life and in our walk as an assembly. This is to be born in our life and it is to be exhibited one to another within our local church. And of course, if you are exhibiting it here, the chances of you exhibiting it outside or overflowing into the outside of this church is also very real, right? We're walking there in the midst thereof. But this power is expressively strengthened so that we can minister one to another. It's not merely for ourselves, but it is for that ministry one to another within that body. And we'll see that in Ephesians 4 through 6. There are two prayers in this book, but they are, I think, united in light of this mystery. There's a prayer for understanding so that we might know certain things and there is a prayer for strengthening of this power in every believer. However, both the knowledge and the strengthening are by one Spirit. That one Spirit is true regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our background, or as Paul would be writing in other places, whether you are Jew or Greek, whether you are Jew or Gentile, one Spirit is doing this in God's people. And we concluded this morning by saying that we really can go to God the Father to accomplish this. He has named every family or some people translate that every family member. He has named every family in heaven and on earth. He has named it by having it exist. He has named it according to its function. And so there is this name that is given. So if God has named something, that is what it will what? That's what it will be. So we go to Him. Now, as I mentioned before, there are differences in how one approaches this prayer for strengthening. Some people see it as one request with two results. That's how I see it. Some people see it as two requests. But regardless of that, 
I think the as we go into this, we do know that he his aim is the same. That is for us to be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is what God's design is for us. Now the way I have this divided is two results. The first result is given in verses 17 and 18. And you'll see that. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, verse 17, so that this happens. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and in that happening, here's the ultimate aim, that you would be, verse 18, able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. Then there would be the second result of this strengthening, and that would be verse 19. That we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that this aim may be accomplished that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now we'll note here in these two what I'm calling results with an aim after the result, that the first one is occurring to people who have already been saved. You'll see that in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, how does that happen? Well, how do we get saved? We got saved by what? Believing the message. Faith in the message, in that gospel message. Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That faith is not just something exercised at the start. It is exercised at the start and it continues all the way until we see Him face to face. It says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, verse 17, that you, now note the past tense, being rooted. Everybody see that? It's not so that you will be rooted, it's you already are what? Rooted and you're already grounded in love. And you'll note, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and you look at verse 4, it says that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in what He predestined us. In love He predestined us. So here we are, rooted and grounded in Him. The second thing is that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That's given to us in verse 19. Now it seems to me, and this is where I'm differing a little bit, but there is overlap. It seems to me that those two results have similarities. It seems to me that they parallel. Let me just show you what I think I see. You have in verse 17, Christ dwelling through our hearts, through faith, rooted and grounded in in love. Then verse 19, we're to know the what of Christ? The love of Christ. Everybody see that? I say that is similar. 
Then you have this odd expression, verse 18. To us to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That seems to me to be similar or to be parallel to verse 19 that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And here's why I say that. Did you notice the dimensions in verse 18? I'm going to ask you a perplexing question. What's the object of the dimensions? There is no object given. So Paul is just saying, all right, I want you to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, all right? And you say, the breadth and length and height and depth of what? And the text is silent about that. And that is why if you read the commentators, they are all over the place about what that is. Let me pass some things by. Could it be the mystery? It could be the mystery. Paul's been talking about that, right? Could it be the fact that believers are the temple of God? That we would understand the length, the height, and the breadth of this temple that God is building. We are the living stones of this. End of chapter 2. It could be that. It could be because he has mentioned that we are rooted and grounded in love, and in verse 19, that he wants us to know the love of Christ, that this expression is sandwiched, and so it could mean the breadth and length and height and depth of of love, of God's love or the love of Christ. The love of Christ is what is traditionally given for this passage, and is traditionally what I have preached from this passage. I'm not sure, but what I will give you doesn't negate that it includes the love of God. And so my my point at this is just to say there's parallels going on here. Being rooted and grounded in love, paralleled to knowing the love of Christ, the dimensions of whatever this object is, to being the fullness, being filled up with all the fullness of God. So let's look at these two purposes and their results. The first purpose and result is given in verses 17 and 18. Strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, I mentioned this before, we're saved by faith, and we saw that in chapter 1 and verse 13 when he says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. It's mentioned again, as we've already noted in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the what? It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
We are saved by faith, but folks, Christ also abides in us by faith. We are baptized into His body. Christ in us, the hope of, the hope of glory. He abides in us by faith. So faith is the channel by which the grace of God comes to us in Christ by our believing that. That justified us and that is sanctifying us. As we open our Bibles and we behold in a mirror the glory of the, of the Lord, we're changed from glory to glory. All of that is occurring not by our works, but by what? By faith in the promises of God. God has given us all these things by promise. And folks, power or might is what is needed for justification to occur. The gospel is the power of God unto Salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For us to be justified, to be declared righteous, that takes the power of God to do that in the gospel or in Christ where he brought all this to pass. But folks, power is also what is needed to, for us to persist as a Christian. Someone's once said that if you get up in the morning and you're still a Christian, thanks be to the power of God. That is true. And for us to be glorified, would you not agree that's going to take the power of God? This is God's power working in us to bring us to Christ, for us to be declared righteous, and for us to persist to endure until we see Him face to face. The power of God is necessary. But folks, strengthening with power is also needed for us to mature in the faith. Not just for us to persist and to make it to the end, but for us to mature in our faith so that we not only mature in the knowledge We endure under that knowledge and we walk in that knowledge. It's going to take the power of God to do that. And that is why Paul is praying for us, for that church at Ephesus, to be strengthened. He didn't say you've already arrived, did he? They're to be strengthened with might so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith because they have already been rooted and grounded in Him. Rooted is an agricultural word. You take a plant and you do what? You root it into the ground so that it takes what? It takes root. Grounded is a building term. That one foundation has been laid, Christ the cornerstone, And we as living stones are on that foundation. We are being built up, grounded in that faith. Christ being our basis. 
So therefore, having been rooted and having been grounded, strength, strengthening, occurs as we grow up in Him. So Paul's praying for that. And folks, when that occurs, or when that is occurring, look at verse 18. We have the ability to comprehend the dimensions. Again, there's no object, right? Just to comprehend the dimensions. What are those dimensions? Well, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Of what? Well, to my way of looking at the passage, it it really comes down to two choices in my mind. One is what we've already mentioned, the traditional viewpoint. That is the love of Christ. Folks, is that love dimensionless? Does it not have a breadth and a length and a height and a depth? I could go to the book of Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. And he does mention neither height nor depth. So it could be the love of Christ. And certainly as you look out on the ocean, or as that song says, if we had a quill, and we dip that pen into the ocean of the ink, we couldn't write of the love of Christ. That certainly is true. But I think there's a second possibility. And as I mentioned, the similarity and the parallels between these two purposes and results, I think it could refer to God the Father. And the reason why I say that is because if the parallel and similarity is accurate, then the breadth and length and height and depth is being parallel to what in verse 19? Being filled up to all the fullness of God. That's God the Father. In fact, even in this book, in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of Him. Everybody see that? Him, that is God the Father. Or in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 33, he talks about this type of depth. Listen to what he says. All the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Do you hear that phrase? We have the end of Romans 8, he talks about the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Nothing shall separate us from that. 
But he also mentions in Romans chapter 11 all the riches. Do we have the term riches in this book? Of the knowledge. Do we have that here in this book? And the wisdom. The wisdom and knowledge of God. I think that's what he wants us to be able to comprehend. And I favor that, and folks, even that of what I favor includes the love of Christ, doesn't it? I think that if we just confine it to the love of Christ, I think it's being a little bit too limiting in what Paul is trying to get at here in this book. I think it's referring to the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God the Father. And folks, when you talk about the breadth of something and the length of something and the depth of something, the height of something, you have to start with those four things with some type of platform. In other words, I'd have to, if I took just this strip right here on this pulpit, Okay. Does it have a width? It does have a width, but I'm that width is in comparison to this surface, right? The width, the length. Does it have a length? All right. If I go from this surface and I go up, it's the height. And if I go from this surface and I go down, it's the what? It's the depth. All of us come to Christ with a surface knowledge of Christ and of God the Father. It is riches and wealth that the world is blind to. But now that we've come to Christ through faith, He wants us, having been rooted and grounded in love, to begin to allow to to have Christ abide in our hearts by the same faith, so we knowing the surface, the surface is Christ and God working through His Son, so that we begin to see the length of it as far as your eye can what? And the width of it as far as your eye can see. And the height of it as far as you can see above it, and the depths of it, as low as you can what? As you can go. All the depth, and the reason why he uses depth in the book of Romans chapter 11 is because you're trying to dig out something, right? You're trying to know the wisdom and knowledge of God. You're digging for gold. When you dig for gold, you don't go up, you go where? You go down. You go into the well, as it were, of the heart of God to try to discern how He has made certain decisions. Romans chapter 11. Paul says, unsearchable. (laughs) There's a place that you can go to where your questions are not answered in the Scripture. But what we do know is wealth beyond measure. Everybody see that? And folks, that's what occurs in a local New Testament church. We preach the depth of this, 
We preach the width of this. We preach the length of it. We even preach the height of this so that a church body can be mature and end up being filled with all the fullness of God so that we can come to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and the results of that. This is amazing wealth, depth, height, length, and width. That's what I think he wants us to know here. And folks, do we know some of that? The answer to that is what? Yes, Yes, we do. But there's more. There's more. And when you get to the place like the heart of Paul where he says this, I count everything but dung for the excellency of this knowledge. He spent his whole life striving to know Christ and to know God the Father's work in Christ so that by faith he can be transformed into the image of God's dear Son. That he would know the exceeding greatness of that power that is working in him. Hallelujah for that. And folks, that that quest is absolutely boring to a lost person. (laughs) That's why they find church boring. You're talking about, as far as they're concerned, you're talking about philosophical ideas that are kind of way up here and out there. But for us who are being saved, this is the wisdom of God and the power of God, as Paul would write to the Corinthians. So we need to be strengthened with power so that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith because we have been rooted and grounded in Him so that we would have the ability, by the Spirit of God, we would have the ability to comprehend the dimensions. You could say the love of Christ. I would say okay. You could say the mystery. I nod my head. You could say just about anything that is scriptural. I'd say all right. But I think it refers to God the Father. The immensity of all that He planned that was hidden before the foundation of the world but now has been what? Now has been revealed. And it is hard to understand because we have finite minds. Mm -hmm. A finite mind is trying to comprehend the incomprehensibility of God. (laughs) But I can tell you there is so much joy in that. A joy that goes way beyond dancing and drinking. It goes way beyond a good meal. It goes way beyond family and friends. It goes way beyond everything in this life. This is what Paul wants you and me to know. And he wants our church. This is what God the Father, His eternal purpose to be lived out in our church so that we would, we would as it were, begin to see the dimensionlessness of this and we be strengthened in our inner man so that we can begin to walk a worthy walk that is worthy of that high calling in our life. 
And the higher you see the calling, the more strengthening you will see to walk in the light of it. Everybody see that? Then we have the second purpose and result, verse 19. That is to know the love of Christ. Now here's an interesting expression. Which surpasses what? Does that strike you as strange? Paul wants you to know something that surpasses knowing. Do you see that? He wants us to know the love of Christ, that love which is far beyond what? Knowledge. Knowledge. What in the world does that mean? Now folks, it can't mean that it's something you cannot know. Why do I say that? He wants you to know it. Right? That'd be like me saying, you need to know atomic physics. And then, me saying to you, is way beyond your understanding, so why attempt it? He wants us to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. How can we know a love that goes beyond knowledge? Now the commentators will come up and say, well, it could mean this. It could mean that the knowledge of the love of God can never be fully known. Would that be accurate? I think that is accurate, don't you? Another option may be that The fullness, the fullness of His love is beyond our capacity to know fully so that the more I know, the more stunned I am at this love. So it could mean that. It could mean that I will never be able to know it in its full capacity. Not just that it could never be fully known, but whatever capacity is there, I can never never know that. I'm not sure that either one of those is what Paul's driving at. I say perhaps. I'm satisfied with this, but it is a perhaps. I think that what Paul means when he says, I want you to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, I think he means this. Church, I want you to go beyond just knowing something to it being lived out in your life. Folks, could we know something and not really know it? The answer to that is what? Yes. In other words, when my kids were at home and they were eight or so, we'd play this game called Bible knowledge. And we'd have all kinds of questions 
who did this, where did this go, how did this happen, who's cried, we'd flip the card over. And my kids, they could give the answers to those things. But when it came to the knowledge living out in their lives, or I'm going to put it in Ephesian terminology, when it came to their walk, it was deficient. (laughs) Right? Can we know more than what we're operating in? The answer to that is yes. And folks, where I get this from, in my way of viewing this, is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 8. He told the Corinthians this, knowledge puffs up. I'm quoting the King James. Did you hear that? Knowledge puffs up. But love, what is love? Well, folks, love has to have an object, doesn't it? Love has to flow to the object or you're not loving. (laughs) Mere knowledge puffs up, but when the knowledge is embraced in our hearts and it transforms us, then we're able to walk in love, like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 says. So folks, I think that what he's saying here is that in order for this to happen, you need to be strengthened. Do you agree with that? If you're going to walk in the knowledge that you're gaining, you're going to need to be strengthened with power to know not merely Christ loves me. To know not merely, well, God loves me. But to really know the love of Christ. His love in you being lived out in your walk day by day. That's going to take strength and with power. You know, we have the situation within the church of God. We have situations where genuine believers, men, are married to lost wives. We have situations where genuinely saved wives are married to lost husbands. Do we not have that in the church of God today? All right. Folks, would you agree with me that it's going to take not just knowing Christ loves me to live in that situation? You're going to have to have a strengthening with power in your inner man so that you not only know Christ loves you, but that you are loving in your walk to other people. Would you not agree those are two different entities? Knowing the mere knowledge versus walking in the knowledge of that. And folks, we're going to need that in a local New Testament church. We're going to need to walk in love to one another. It's one thing for you to quote-unquote tolerate one another for an hour. (laughs) It's another thing for us to act like family. 
and get to know one another and find out there's little quirks about other people that kind of rub you. But you are called upon to be strengthened with might to live out this power of His grace to love one another or this, to tolerate one another in love. Would you not agree with that? There's immaturities in a church. There's immaturities in individuals. There's young people sometimes getting kind of great on the nerves of elderly people. You've got to be a beacon of love. And that's going to be taking the knowledge of God. It's going to be engrafting it and then walking in that knowledge. That's going to take power. That's going to take a strengthening with power to know a love that goes beyond mere knowing the fact. That's what I think Paul is praying for here. And I think he's praying that because in Ephesians 4, he goes right in and starts talking about how we're to what? How we're to walk toward one another. Now folks, when we are strengthened with power to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, then we have, or while that's going on, we have the ability, look at verse 19, to be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's an amazing thing to think that that's our goal as Faith Memorial Baptist Church. Would you call that a high goal? For each individual believer in our congregation to, I'm going to word it this way, to walk to one, at, towards one another like Jesus would do. That's amazing. Would you say that a church that does that would know something about Christ. Would you say a church that is doing that would be a church full of His love? Would you say that if a church is doing that, that they are a congregation filled with the Spirit of God? Would you say that? Would you say that they are filled with the Spirit of Christ? Would you say they are filled up with all the fullness of God? The answer to that is what? Yes. Now folks, when we talk about the word filling, there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about that word. For us to be filled up refers to being filled up in order to exhibit the effects of being filled up. In other words, when something is filled up, it's saturated, right? If you take a cup and you say, I'm going to saturate this cup with liquid, you you fill it all the way to the what? All the way to the top. But it goes beyond that. You fill it all the way to the top and then it overflows. The effects of the saturation, the effects of being filled up, flow out. 
And if we turn to Ephesians 5, I think you can see that definition in verse 18 really come to light. He says, all right, I don't want you to be drunk with wine, but he says at the end of that verse, but be filled with the what? The Spirit, which I think is the same as being filled up with all the fullness of God. Now, what is the effects of that saturation? Verse 19, number one, speaking to one another. Everybody see that? How? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's talking about what's going on in a local New Testament church. Our singing, whether on key or off key, is to have be flowing out of the effects of being filled with this fullness of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit so that our hearts, we're not just singing joyful music, we are being joyful in our music. You hear the difference with that. We can sing, up from the grave he arose. That's a real upbeat song, isn't it? While in our hearts, be down in the depths of gloom. He wants us to be filled with up from the grave he arose so that the joy is coming out of our hearts in our music. That's the effect of being filled to saturation with the Spirit of God. Or the second effect, Ephesians 5, look at verse 20. Always giving what? Thanks. Everybody see that? Folks, when you are filled with the fullness, all the fullness of God, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will grow more and more thankful. You don't grow more and more grumbly. You grow more and more what? Thankful. And you are expressing that thanksgiving. In fact, Paul's going to say in Ephesians that instead of talking about certain evil things, you are to give thanks. Being filled with Spirit. Now, now you thought this was going to be like goosebumps and all this type of thing, right? People being slain, falling out of their chairs. No, this is very simple. The effects of being filled up with the fullness of God speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Number two, always giving thanks for how many things? All things. And the third one, verse 21, being subject or submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. Everybody see that? Folks, there's great resistance in our culture to being to serving other people. Especially a wife serving her husband, being submissive to her husband. That is an anathema in our culture. But serving one another is the very essence of what being a Christian is. Did Christ serve us? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. 
And folks, all of those things, speaking to one another, that deals with our speech, our tongue. Giving thanks for all things, that deals with our tongue. And being subject to one another certainly deals with our tongue, but it goes beyond that to the very heart attitude of our hearts, of our inner man. And folks, that's going to take, that's going to take being strengthened with power in your what? In your inner man. So that we would come to know a love of Christ that goes beyond theory, it goes beyond mere facts, it becomes us. So that we might have the ability to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now folks, what I have just preached to you today is true revival. This is true life. This is what it means to be godly. This is what it means to give glory to God. what I preached to you today. And folks, where's the locality where all this is to be occurring? In the church. In local New Testament assemblies all over this globe. This is to be occurring. And it occurs as we, number one, grow in the knowledge of God the Father. And secondly as this knowledge is lived out in our hearts and in our lives. Did Paul have that knowledge? Was he living it out? You know, folks, he was in prison, was he not? Do you know how little we know about Paul's imprisonment other than the fact that he was imprisoned? When he was in prison, he told the Philippians, Rejoice. And again, I say what? Could he have gone into about his lack of food, his dirty environment, the injustice of the rulers, the wrong judgments that have been keeping him there all the time, the lack of opportunity to present Christ? Could he have gone into all that? But he didn't. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's who I'm really in prison to. So I will rejoice. And I will give thanks in all things. And I will live in Him and through Him. So that to live is Christ. And to die, it's all good. Let's pray.